special Independence Day sermon called Free Indeed. Now, Jesus promised freedom to those who followed him. He promised liberty. He promised freedom. And this is a a theme of the scriptures, Old Testament to New Testament, the freedom of those who are walking with God, the power of God to help us overcome the, the enemies of our life, those who are holding us back to get into places of true freedom and not just political freedom, but spiritual freedom. That's what Jesus offers us. So let's go to Luke chapter 4. I'll read verses 17 through 21. This is Jesus showing up for church, which was his regular custom. He went to synagogue and he was one of the readers. So he's going to read and then teach on what he read. And this is where we pick it up. Luke 4, 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Good news to the poor, freedom from poverty, proclaiming freedom for the prisoners, those who are in bondage, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, those who can't see, who are spiritually blind, can't see the truth, recovery of sight, to set the oppressed free, not just the prisoners, but the ones who are also oppressed, those who are being held back in different ways, uh, to set the oppressed free. This is the promise. Jesus says today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the, the new covenant promise of freedom, of liberty for the individual to be able to see, to be able to break out of bondage, either prisoner type bondage, oppression type bondage, and good news to the poor. So Incredible blessings talked about there in Luke chapter 4. But there's an apparent contradiction here in a lot of people's minds. For many people, they see religion as a form of bondage, not as a pathway to freedom. You know, they don't think, oh yeah, I'm going to go to church to get free. They think, oh no, I'm stuck doing these things I don't want to do. They see religion as a form of bondage, not as a pathway to freedom. Last time, we talked about people rebelling against God because they believe that serving God means misery and lack and that they're going to miss out on the good things of this life and it's just going to be a terrible life, so they don't want to do that. So they rebel against God. Let me tell you, that's not how it is. That's, that's misunderstanding the ways of God. You're, you're thinking about legalistic religion or misguided sacrifice, but it's missing the mark. The ways of God actually do bring us to liberty, bring us to freedom, bring us to vision and understanding. And I think we should fear missing out on what God has for us more than we should fear going with God, causing us to miss out on the things of this world. So let's fear missing out on God's best life for us today. However, with all that stuff that I said, 
There is some truth to that apparent contradiction because sometimes religion goes wrong. Sometimes it does get legalistic. People do get to the place of unnecessary, misguided sacrifice. And that is exactly what's being talked about in the epistle to the Galatians. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, the apostle Paul is writing to the church there in Galatia, and they're slipping back into legalistic religion from the freedom they have in Christ. And so Paul says this to them, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So in New Testament times, the religious culture was very legalistic. It wasn't about finding the good things of God and overcoming the darkness of this life and grabbing hold of true freedom. It was just a whole bunch of rules taught by people that were basically oppressive rules, very legalistic, yucky kind of religion. And so Paul warns them, you know, stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So these Christians got set free from that oppressive religious structure, but they were slipping back into the same thing, but not in, you know, the Pharisaical context, but in the Christian context. And they were falling back into that legalistic righteousness that what Paul here calls a yoke of slavery. So false religion does create bondage rather than freedom. So we don't want that to happen. Jesus was very aware of the religious bondage of his day. And that's why he did so many things to irritate the religious people of the time. So Luke 13 is a great example of Jesus just irritating the religious people because they were all nitpicky about these certain things, but they actually were harming people. It was an oppression rather than helping people find God, understand who they are in the eyes of God and come into true freedom. The religious world was, was backwards then, you know, as it can slip into today even. Luke 13, starting in verse 10, we'll read 10 through 16. Jesus uh, irritates some people. Here we go. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? So they had taken the idea of keeping the Sabbath all the way into this uh, religious bondage place where you couldn't even help somebody (laughs) on the Sabbath. And it was ridiculous. You know, what is the Sabbath for? What's the purpose of the Sabbath? The Sabbath is there so that we will rest from our work, set aside all the worries and concerns of this life, and we will spend time with God, focusing on the things of God and make sure that we orient our heart with God. 
That's really, really important. Now, you can have an altar call and pray for healing for people on the Sabbath. That's perfectly fine. There's not an issue with that. And Jesus was pointing out the hypocrisy of it. But here's the main point I want you to get from this first part of the sermon. Do not be deceived. True faith in Jesus brings freedom, not bondage. Brings spiritual freedom, can bring all kinds of different freedom, you know, like more natural type freedoms as well. Uh, When we learn to live in the ways of God, we can learn to grab hold of more and more types of freedom. So how do we get this freedom? There is a section in John chapter 8 that really gives us the key to this. And it's an incredibly iconic teaching of Christ, something that people quote. They don't even know they're quoting Jesus, but they don't quote the whole thing. It's not understood. So let's go to John 8. Let me read these two verses, talk about it some, and we'll continue in John 8 for a little bit because it's some just powerful stuff. Check this out. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus here in John 8, 31 and 32 tells them the truth will set you free. Hallelujah. Of course, people talk about that. The truth will set you free. But that's not everything that Jesus said here. There's really three steps. It's not just the truth will set you free. It's if you hold to my teaching. That means if you actually put into practice the teachings of God in the scriptures, the teachings of Christ, the teachings in the Bible, if you actually put these into practice in your daily life, then you will know the truth and then the truth will set you free. So putting these things into practice is how we learn the truth and then the truth sets us free. I'll give an example of that later, but the first thing you have to do, what's the first thing you need to do? It's to admit that you have a problem, right? And so many people in this world think they're free, but they're still in bondage. You know, and it's something that we all, myself included, need to take seriously because if we're in bondage and we're blind to it, how are we going to get free? And that's what Jesus encounters here as we continue. So let's pick it up the very next verse, verse 33 of chapter 8. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So Jesus is promising freedom and they're saying, we don't need your help. We're already free. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If we're set free by the son, by Jesus, if we're set free by what Jesus did for us on the cross, the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made, you know, as we celebrate communion at the end of the service, we recognize what Jesus has done for us. And that is the son setting us free from our guilt and shame, our past sins, so that we can have a relationship with God, walk with God in this life and have everlasting life. That's a big deal because a slave has no permanent place in the family. And it says here, Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that everyone who sins is a slave to sin? Or do you think freedom to sin is a greater freedom 
then it is a bondage. Being free to sin, is that true freedom or is sin bondage like Jesus says? Well, let's just talk about that for a second. Addiction is bondage, right? If you are caught in addiction, you are stuck in it. You can't get out of it. You try to quit, you can't. Sin gets its hooks in us and pulls us into a place we don't want to go. Sin is bondage. If it's substances that have hold of us, if it's fear, if it's anger or pride, if it's lust, if we just love misinformation and we want to believe all kinds of goofy conspiracies and crazy things, you know, and we're just addicted to that stuff, you know, that brings us into a place of bondage. It's not freedom. We must recognize that sin, as Jesus taught, that sin is slavery. It's bondage. And we want to be free. So we want to put these three steps into practice. We want to hold to the teachings of Christ. We want to then know the truth. We learn things when we hold to those teachings. And then the truths that we learn there set us free. The biggest mistake that I see commonly among Christians who are wanting to be free, you know, and they're going to quote, uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they're going to pretend they're free when they're not. The biggest mistake that I see among people trying to do this is they skip step one. They don't actually hold to the teachings. They ignore the teachings. They only do the ones that they like, but the ones they don't like, they just skip. So they don't hold to the teachings. And then they replace this knowing the truth with Christian trivia. You know, they maybe have memorized certain Bible verses or they know the books of the Bible in order or whatever. They they know the answers to the questions, but they don't know how to live the new life in Christ. That's the biggest mistake that I see. So let's focus just a second on how important it is to hold to the teachings of Christ, to hold to the biblical, scriptural teachings. It's very very important. I want to jump to James 1, one of my very favorite verses in the Bible. James 1.22 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. No, don't just listen and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So what does that mean? How do you get deceived by listening to the scriptures, by reading the scriptures, by listening to preachers preach on the scriptures? How do you get deceived by that? Well, if you think you're actually doing something by merely hearing it and then not doing it, you're deceived because you think you're following Christ when you're not. You're just hearing what you should be doing, but you're not actually doing it. So don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Romans chapter 2, fantastic stuff here. Romans 2.13 says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So it's not enough, again, to hear what the scriptures have to say to know the Ten Commandments. You have to do the Ten Commandments. You have to obey the Ten Commandments. And then Matthew 7, I think this is just a fantastic way of making it real that Jesus explains at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus is saying, look, if you have heard how to follow God and you refuse to do it or you pretend you're doing it when you're not, your house will fall. When the storms come, the chinks in the armor will be exposed and it will all fall apart. You know, we're not supposed to give false witness. We're not supposed to lie. If your life is based on lies, if your boss knew what you were doing, and then if that happened, you would be fired instead of promoted, then when the truth comes out, your house falls apart. If your spouse knew the truth, that if that would ruin your marriage, then you're building your house on sand. You want to build your house on the solid foundation of obedience to the word of God, the truths of God. This is where it's at. Let's give an example. Hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How does that work? You know, the stuff in the Bible that God asks us to do sometimes is extraordinarily challenging. And this is extraordinarily challenging. So let's go to Matthew 5, 43 through 48. It says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that word perfect, I think, would be better translated complete, you know, full grown, be mature. So be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are expected to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. There are many people in America right now who feel persecuted, and uh, some are and some maybe aren't. I've been saying for years that Christians who think that there's heavy persecution in America, there just isn't. You know, like we, we are protected by the religious freedoms of the United States of America. It's fantastic. I'm free. Nobody's going to come and seize my property because they found out that I'm a follower of Jesus. We are very, very free to follow Jesus. We're not persecuted. The only potential caveat to that would be a pastor who lives in a parsonage who actually wants to preach the truth, who then gets thrown out of their house, loses their job because they actually are standing on the truth. That's a potential uh, example of an exception, and there may be others as well. But how do we pray for and love our enemies? Have you ever tried to do that? You know, that's a difficult thing. What happens when you try to do that? What do you learn? Of course, you know, I've done this. I've, I've learned lessons by attempting to do this throughout the years. When I read this years ago, I'm like, love my enemies. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let's give this a shot. You know, so I've learned some lessons along these lines. And what happens when you attempt to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, those who you don't like, those who are harming you in this life, when you pray for them, you realize some things like, it's not just a simple choice to love your enemies. This isn't just like, okay, 
and then you love your enemies. It doesn't work like that. It's a battle. There's a heart battle that goes on to try to understand how to get to that, that spiritual plane where you can love your enemies. But as you battle and struggle through that, you begin to see these people more through the eyes of Jesus. And you understand, okay, this person is being a bully to me because they've been bullied. This person is harming me because they've got a crushed self-esteem and they don't know how to get peace in their heart and they're taking it out on other people. And you start to have some compassion for these individuals. And then you realize they're really not your enemy, that we have a common enemy, which is the devil and the, the sin and darkness of this world. And that person needs to be rescued from that just as much as I do. And so if I'm having interactions with this person, maybe I can help them. And you start to, to realize they're not really your enemy. They're just another person in this world that needs Jesus. And everything begins to change. So you attempt to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and you begin to see some more important truths of God. You see people through God's eyes, not through your selfish perspective. You realize they need Jesus and that God loves them and that they're actually not your enemy. And then you can come into a place of freedom because your grudges and your false narratives fade away and you're free to not hate, to not be bitter, and to see reality in a very different way. So it brings freedom from all of that angst and anger and bitterness against your opponent, against even, say, the group that you see as the evil oppressors, and you realize that's a false narrative and that these are people that Jesus loves and your grudges go away, and then you're free in your heart. That's how that works. You will hold to his teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what are some of the ways that we can get freedom in Christ? I'm going to give some quick examples here. We actually did an 11 part series in 2018 called Unlocking Freedom. Uh, you can go back into the sermon archives and you can find uh, greater detailed examples uh, of sermons on these lines here and, uh, and others as well. So I encourage you uh, to go back to the 2018 sermon series, Unlocking Freedom, and that will help you. But let's just give some quick examples here. I got four. Example number one, freedom from sin. Of course, Jesus came to set us free from sin. Hallelujah. There's three ways that we get set free from sin. The first way Everybody, I think, who has any familiarity with Christianity understands we get set free from the guilt and shame of our past sins, from our failures and weaknesses, our inadequacies, the things we failed to do, the times we should have intervened but we didn't, the things that we said wrong and hurt people. We get forgiveness for our past sins through Christ's redemptive work on the cross. So we are forgiven, we are redeemed because of what Jesus did on the cross. The wages of sin is death. Our past sins bring us death. Destruction is what must come because God is creating his eternal kingdom where there is no sin, no pain, nothing like that. So if we create sin and pain, we don't get to go because we'll ruin it. But we are set free from that because Jesus pays that wage. We are redeemed to live a new life 
where we learn the ways of God and don't continue in the darkness. So we're set free from our past sins and uh, how I just alluded to our future sins. We're set free from repeating the same mistakes over and over again through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's very fancy talk for as we walk with God, we get better at being Christians. We want to get better at it. I don't think there's a more frustrating life than being a Christian who's really bad at being a Christian. I think that's just a terrible life to live. Don't be that person and <laughs> try to get good at it. Uh, and other people find it ridiculous as well. So don't be that person. But there's another way we get set free from sin besides our past sins and repeating our failures into the future. We're also set free from other people's sins. So many times in people's lives, the most significant sin that has the greatest impact on them is not a sin they committed, but it's a sin somebody else committed against them. And it has shaped them and molded them. They've been conformed to the image of this world because of the evil that's been perpetrated against them. And now they're changed. They're changed by the darkness that has hit them. Their heart is darkened. They, they put up all these barriers and, and they miss out on the good things of God because they have to protect themselves. And we need to get set free from other people's sins as well. And it's a very similar process for getting set free from our past sins. We get set free from our past sins by Jesus' forgiveness of us, and we get free from the sins of others by forgiving them, by releasing it to God, where we say, you know, it is yours to avenge, you repay, Lord, you will deal with them justly, I know you will, I'm going to let it go so that I can heal and live my life as who I was created to be, not the person who's been shaped by this abuse, by this evil, by this darkness. I don't want to be the person who's shaped by that. I'm going to release that to you. I'm going to heal, regain my identity, and I'm going to go forward in my life whole and strong. So we get set free from our past sins, our future sins, and from the sins people uh, commit against us. That's big stuff. Another way we get set free is we get set free from the devil's attacks and the devil's schemes. James 4, 7, very important scripture here. Nice, short, to the point. It's one thing I like about the book of James is it's direct and to the point. And it says this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we got three steps in this one. We got submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. What do you learn when you try to put that into practice? Well, first step, you better submit yourselves to God. You know, we don't want to be in that seven sons of Shiva scenario where we've, we're invoking the name of God, but we have not submitted ourselves to God. So he's not backing us up. We don't want to be in that place. We want to submit ourselves to God. Then we resist the devil and he will flee. Now, who resists the devil? You do. And so you have to say to the devil, shut up and get out of my life. Quit lying to me. I know what you're doing. Get out. You've got to reject and resist the enemy. And when you do that, you find out that you have power in Christ to resist the devil and get free. Little kids can be taught to do that. If you're somebody who deals with demonic oppression, demonic problems, however you want to define those things, if there's darkness coming after you, submit yourself to God. And then in Jesus' name, you say, you shut up and you get out and you resist. You tell those things to leave. Give me a testimony on how it goes. Email me, pastormike at goodhope.ag. Let me know how it goes because I've seen so many people get victory 
by learning how to submit themselves to God, resist the devil, and watch him flee. It can be done. It's another way to have freedom. Third way, freedom from believing lies. So many people are walking around in this world believing lies. It's just terrible. I heard a pastor, his name is Pastor Keith Moore. He pastors down in Branson, Missouri and Sarasota, Florida. And he used to be a a traveling preacher and uh, some good stuff there. I I like him. And one of his sermons, he, he made the point, you know, which word is the most powerful in your life? Is it your word, somebody else's word? or God's word. And uh, everybody would think it's God's word, but he said, no, no, it's the word that you believe. That's the one that's most powerful in your life. So if Jesus says that you are forgivable and that you can have new life and that God loves you and that there is a plan for you and that you can grab hold of the good things of God and have everlasting life in God and that you are immeasurably valuable to God. If those are truths of the Bible, but you believe that you're a piece of garbage that's not worth being loved, that is never going to amount to anything, then that lie that you believe is more powerful in your life than the truths of God. So believe the thing that's actually true. Believe the scriptures and let them have power in your life. But if you believe the lie, then you're not going to be able to grab hold of the good things of God. Just like if you believe that religion is oppressive and dark and is only going to do you harm, well, that's not true. False religion will do that. You know, Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. (laughs) Why would he say that? Because there are false prophets. So you got to watch out for false religion, but that doesn't mean there isn't true religion, a true way to the Father through Christ where there's freedom. You want to find that. You want to grab hold of it. Believe the truth, not the lies. But you must love the truth more than lies. And in today's world, we love lies. Tell you what, the, all of the media would be different if people loved the truth, but they don't love truth. They love, because a lot of times truth is boring. It's complicated. It's nuanced. Um, but lies are self-serving and clear and fit your narrative. Don't believe those lies. Don't be that foolish. Love the truth. If you need to take that seriously, read 2 Thessalonians 2, um, 8 through 12, focus on verse 10. You'll understand. Then the last one I just want to mention briefly is free to be me. We are free to become who we were created to be, become our true self. You don't lose who you are when you give your life to Christ. You become who you are. In Luke 9, starting in verse 23, 23 through 25. This is kind of an important teaching of Christ. It's in all the gospels and in two of them twice. So it's kind of an important thing. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for a man, for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self. And the way this is stated in Luke 9, it shows the dual purpose of that. It's not just to lose your eternal salvation. It's to lose who you were created to be. You can end up walking down the wrong path and missing God's plan for your life, missing who you truly are. And I don't want to miss that. God's got a good plan for me. Some people think that they're getting free from social constructs 
but they're just jumping into other social constructs and they're not really finding out who they truly are. Don't lose yourself. Find out who you are in Christ. Super important. Don't live a selfish, self-centered life because that's a sad, small world. Release yourself and you get to be part of this incredible, beautiful, awesome world that doesn't always have anything to do with you, but you get to be part of it. All right, let's close this out. So just quick examples again. We are free from sin, free from the devil's attacks and schemes, free from believing lies, free to be ourselves, and freedom in Christ starts with the cross. It's step one. Step one, we must recognize what Jesus has done for us. We must humbly go before God, admit that we're not perfect and that we need redemption. And then then we receive that forgiveness, that redemption, and we go forward with Christ. The first step is to go to the cross, but we need to repeat that step as we go. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice made for us. We come before you humbly acknowledging our imperfections, acknowledging our weaknesses, and we thank you that you have made a way for us to make us clean, to make us whole, and to set us free. Lord, help us to come before you in our weakness, knowing that you have forgiveness and redemption and new life. Let us hold to your teachings, walk in your ways, learning as we go, and grabbing hold of that freedom more and more. Lord, bless us and encourage us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.